Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis and I'm joined on this episode by Linda Collins, a poet who has really made her mark on the poetry scene here in Norwich in the last year. And Norwich is just the latest in a number of places around the world she has made her home, as you will hear. She will be reading and discussing her collection, Sign Language for the Death of Reason, which addresses the death of her teenage daughter by suicide. Obviously, this is a topic that may be distressing to some listeners, so please beware. However, I hope you will find inspiration in Linda's poetry and her advice on how the medium can be used to address such traumatic events. Here's Linda with a poem from the collection. How'd she who found her? It was for the best. Her choice, quick, her time, natural selection. Did she fail her exams? She was too good for this world, too kind for this world, too... She hung out with losers. She wasn't sporty. She was that dreamy type. My kids never liked her. She did what she came here to do. She's in a better place. The parents, didn't they see? At least she didn't suffer. God needed an angel. Better to have loved and lost. Time heals all. The mother can work full time now. You're so brave, so calm, organised. The parents are sedated, you can tell. I know. Once my cat got run over. She'd want you to go on a cruise, look after one another, be happy. I never liked the mother or the father. Of course, they'll split up now. A very powerful poem there, and I think we could all imagine the context, but uh, can you tell us a bit about the background? Hi, Patrick, and thanks for asking me to take part in this poetry podcast. So my name is Linda Collins. Uh, As you can tell by the accent, probably, I'm Kiwi. And I'm uh, living in Norwich at the moment, doing an MA in creative writing. And I've just read to you a poem from my book, Sign Language for the Death of Reason, uh, available at the Book Hive bookstore in Norwich. And um, it's published by Math Paper Press in Singapore, where I used to live. The poetry collection is kind of a a flip on my memoir I wrote, Loss Adjustment, and it's quite a sad topic. It's about the death by suicide of my 17-year-old daughter, Victoria McLeod. This happened about eight years ago, and it was in Singapore. She died on the first day of a new school term, and uh, we were totally unaware of the issues she was dealing with, uh, because to us she was just a terrific, happy, bright kid. But apparently she was bullied so much at school she could, couldn't speak in class. She had a real dread about exams and thought she was failing them. So uh, how do you make sense of that and keep going? Well, writing has helped me. Uh, some My book, Loss Adjustment, has been of use to parents trying to raise teenagers and teenagers themselves who are troubled and counsellors. But um, some people can't handle that topic right. I I mean, they tell me it's a page-turner when they pick it up, but some people buy my book and just tell me actually they can't bring themselves to read it. So I wrote a poetry book 
as a maybe another way into a difficult topic. And the poetry is quite playful. So that poem I read you is about the conversations that happened to me and my husband Malcolm after my daughter's funeral. People mean well, but they say these platitudes that are actually quite inappropriate. But I understand why. There's no sort of text for grievers there. People say what comes into their heads. But you also know, you can see in front of you, they're saying really nasty other stuff. So that's all part of the grief thing. You kind of have to try and take care of yourself while taking care of other people's needs. So I think for, for a poems from a poetry point of view, it's an interesting topic to write about, um, Patrick. Uh, you're caught in a situation where you're emotionally devastated, yet you have to pull yourself together and interpret socially what's going on. So so what do you think of that? Yeah, I, mean, uh, I think poetry is very much made for exploring and sharing those experiences, but... Um, it uh, must be a, a difficult thing to do and uh, I think also it's difficult to do in a way that uh, is accessible to other readers but I think that's something you, you accomplished very well in that oh, poem. Did people really say all those things? Yes, actually some people told me about cats and dogs that had died but one that was very hard to handle was someone telling me about their pet goose that had died and how that she totally understood my pain about losing my daughter as a result. Um, I'm sorry but there's a bit of difference. <laughs> uh, mm. But of course they mean well. <laughs> yeah. yeah and um, I, I hope uh, people said other things along the way which were uh, a bit more sensible and considerate. Yeah, so it's sort of not the saying, it's the doing. So the most helpful thing was like the tennis ladies I used to do social doubles with, just without any fanfare, for about a month left a cooked meal each evening at the door. That sort of thing was really helpful. Yeah, that's lovely. And it's uh, kind of like a, a found poem. You've just put all yeah. these comments together. Um, was that your initial approach or how did the poem actually come together? Uh, well, I was very lucky to be mentored in this poetry collection by New York queer poet Michael Montlach. And, um, you know, so the New York school's a bit more direct than like some other writing in, in uh, the States. Uh, so not so many adjectives and so he, in his New York way he's saying you know you've got to get the kid more in this Linda and um, he said what did they tell you at the funeral and uh, he said that's a found poem put it down that's how it came about and how long did it take before you were able to begin exploring this experience through poetry it's kind of hard to explain, but I had no interest in creative writing. I'm a newspaper copy editor, so I specialise in the news side of things. And I've done that for years around the world. But, and this going to, I don't mean to upset anyone who's not particularly religious. I'm not particularly religious myself, but when you grief stricken, you look for any scaffolding, right? And so I, on my lap's Catholic, but I returned to the church for a, for a bit after two years after Victoria died, and I was doing a non-residential retreat to Mother Mary, in which people in our group prayed at certain times, and we read some stuff by um, by, by Catholic scholars. And um, 
halfway through, just this voice said to me, you need to make the most of your talents. And the second thing was, listen to your inner voice. And I realized I'd done neither of those things in my life. So I went back to my home. I thought these things while doing a walk, while meditating. And again, this sounds nuts, but I, my daughter's voice, or what I imagined was her voice, or whatever, said, Google Creative Writing New Zealand. So I did, and um, up popped this um, Masters in Creative Writing. I applied. They said if I sent 5,000 words by the next day, they'd consider me. And I did, and I was accepted for that course. And so that's, I had no intention. So that's when I wrote my memoir. Then the year after, I couldn't face writing any more long form. I don't know about any writers listening who are long form writers, but it nearly killed me writing about 80,000 words. <laughs> and But I still wanted to be creative. So I looked at poetry, but it was ground zero for me because I'd never studied it. What a, what a presumption of me. So I went to night school for about a year, uh, starting it and then I did online courses and you know week in week out writing poems that failed or, but if you do it long enough you begin to start to improve and then I had some really really good tutors and then um, I started to write actual poems. And um, before we uh, move on to uh, discuss more generally your poetry um, you have a writing exercise I believe based on the poem you just read yeah thanks for the prompt now um i asking you to uh, write a poem based on the stupid things people said to you when you were at a time that was very painful for you yeah so it, it may be painful thinking back but it's actually quite good to get this on paper get it out of yourself and so think about it and then how do you make art of that well, it's about the feelings that you either felt then or you're feeling now. So you can put down the stuff. Did someone bully you at school? Did someone say some inappropriate thing when you lost a loved one? Was it something to do with work? If you put it down on paper and then think about the feeling and maybe the setting, and is there something there that the colours of where you were or um, the sounds or just other poems you've read that are conversations you can have. Think about that and then go away and write it. Yeah, um, I think, you know, it could be a very useful exercise. I always encourage people with these exercises to um, share what they've written and absolutely it'd be great to see that, but also... I realise in this case you might not want to uh, straight away share it with a wider audience um, but uh, it can be good to explore those experiences and um, find uh, the art within them. I, I tried this one myself and um, I found it uh, difficult to think of anything. Um, maybe I've just been fortunate in that uh, I haven't had people say a lot of stupid things to me when <laughs> I've had uh, uh, difficult experiences and um, maybe not as many uh, difficult experiences as some people but I was reminded of uh, something someone else told me about when I was teaching ah. English ah. 
and so I used her story as the basis for this poem and um, having taught English myself I could kind of imagine how this situation would have played out. So this poem is called Requests. The class practices. Laughing as Giovanni bops and jives about the room to an imaginary tune until Yoko barely whispers. Could you turn music down? Then Maria leaves the room and breezes back in as Marco asks, Could you close the door? She turns to do so, but there's someone there. A phone call. For me? I rush down the hall, grip the receiver as the receptionists chatter. Then I'm in the principal's office. The hospital called. I must go. Could you just finish your lesson? So I return to the classroom and the students' faces, silent as mourners. Oh, that's beautiful, Patrick. Especially the, 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 the hit to the gut at the end there, that punch. Wow. Yeah, I know. I think we can all imagine how that teacher felt in that situation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so did you bring your own experience as a teacher into that, either in terms of the situation or the craft? Well, certainly, you know, in uh, how it's like teaching a lesson and I thought it would be sort of interesting to sort of have it starting off with them practising language, which is then used in sort of real context later in the poem. And, yeah, so uh, I could... And, you know, as you'll know what it's like uh, being, though, in a room full of people, it can be very enjoyable and energising. But um, if you're not in the mood, it can be a very difficult uh, atmosphere and uh, situation to be in as well. Yeah, yeah, I like how you explained that. Um, and it's also it can be a playful subject you know you can you can um you can this is your chance to reverse the roles too if you want or to 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 get revenge or to um teach someone a lesson as you did or um just to experiment what would have been an ideal situation so yeah it's it's uh, got a lot there and when i say it can be useful if you've actually gone through this sort of stuff I think it's the process of getting your interior and making it external. Putting it external on the page does something. Also, speaking the words that maybe you've sat on for a while or anyone in a situation, speaking them aloud, uh, whether to someone else or just the universe, kind of takes away the power of them too. Or you reclaim a different sort of power. Anyway, I'm getting a bit philosophical <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's a wonderful idea. As you said, you, you've um, written this collection um, inspired by your experiences with your daughter. Can you tell us a bit more about Victoria? Oh, yeah. It's always lovely to talk about a loved one, even if they're dead. And I think a lot of grieving parents I encounter find that a desire they have. And people who, meanwhile, 
think, oh, I better not talk about the, the child because they don't want to upset you or anything. But actually, because everyone thinks that, you don't get a chance to talk about your child, whereas that's actually what you want to do, even if it's just to have some anecdotes. To, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's quite a good thing to do. But um, So with my daughter, thank you, Patrick, for making my day with this. She was a writer in her own right, so... She probably had ADHD and was OCD and um, d dyspraxic too. Uh, we had her so sort of diagnosed, but no one ever came out properly with those things. It was only after she died and I spent a year doing a diploma in learning disorders management that I began to get a hint of the difficulties she quietly tried to overcome within the systems that we have now. I mean, in terms of education, I mean, in terms of social systems too, you know, cool kids and all that. But some people's brains are just wired in ways that can't fit in with education systems or can't read social cues to make sense of situations so allow themselves inadvertently to be bullied or put down but they feel it inside and it's really quite devastating um, especially as they don't know how to reply so my daughter was fine at home and but it turns out at school she was having an awful time and exams so she loved English that was the one thing she was really really good at but because she couldn't access her short-term memory for exams she never reflected her knowledge on the on the paper you know and so she dreaded failing the one thing she was good at the one thing that kept her going so I don't think she could bear to face her mark and it, it turned out I learned that during the actual exam uh, it was in two pieces and she handed up the first piece you had to go up and hand it up but by mistake, she handed up the second piece as well, but she was too frightened to go back and ask for the second piece to complete the paper. So that's why she failed. But about eight months after she died, we found some diaries in her laptop journal, and we shared these with researchers, and she's been the subject of some books now. And one of the books, Suicide or Why We Kill Ourselves, published in US and UK, um, was reviewed in the New, York, New Yorker magazine, you know, like your literary wonderful thing and it praised Victoria. It began by praising Victoria as a writer in her own right with important stories to tell and Vic and I have since had our palms side by side in a book in Canada and uh, so she, she kind of lives on through her writing and I think that she sort of guides me as well in in my poetry. She she loved poetry and when I read her school exercise books she knew much more than I about technique already at 16 or 17. Yes, I, I was just uh, looking on your website and you have a poem by her there and um, it's incredibly accomplished for <gasps> oh. a, a writer of that age. Oh, yeah. that's so lovely of you to say that and to have looked at the author page. Yeah, uh, I do have a one page in tribute to Victoria amongst that because I feel she belongs there. And uh, I think there are Victorias out there, you know, and so I'm hoping to continue my studies with a PhD proposal and looking at trauma writing in memoir and poetry and how that helps you. I've, I've got a chapter in a research book by Routledge in the States. It was quite hard to do um, where the 
world's leading experts on suicide, Ian Gunn and Dr. List, David List, asked me to compare the two diaries my, of my daughters and that of a, another woman who took her life. And I compared it from a literary point of view and I found some useful things that might contribute towards, towards helping recognise when someone is suicidal and certainly keeping a journal, that externalising of your thoughts, enabling you to self-reflect. That really did help those two young women for quite a while, you know, the process of keeping a journal. But, uh, so that was Victoria, folks, and uh, she has written poems to describe herself, and um, feel free to go to that author page, uh, lindacollinswriter.com. Yeah, yeah, well, um, it's uh, certainly seems she's left a legacy to be proud of. Do you have another poem you'd like to share? Yeah, um, this is... This is uh, called Praxia, and it's after a Sylvia Plath poem, Ariel. So there are, there are lines and ideas from it that I riff on, but I kind of reverse it as well. Anyway, Praxia. Dyspraxia from the Greek. Dis, bad, difficult. Praxia, perform. My clumsy child, we trip up through life together and even attempt your maths homework. But sequencing is beyond us. Marvel at our frozen brains. Marvel at our fingers. The lack of fine motor skills. Our dead hands drop pens on the floor. Again, again, my child cries. Enough! No more reining in. She runs, I run. From classroom, up the hill, galumphing. Whoops-a-daisy crash is us tumbling over and over. Our knees are bloodied. We struggle to get up. Our neurons sputter, stuck in recesses of brain wiring. Able at last to gasp, laugh. We surrender to the doing of nothing, to languor on soft grass, dissing the dis, just us, stasis. Great. So uh, sort of certainly uh, relate to the stresses of maths homework, but... Uh, <laughs> I uh, I like the uh, it really shows the bond between you there as oh. well. Yeah, thanks very much for that. Um, yeah, it, it's difficult, but being able to come and talk about her to do podcasts like this with you, I've got another one coming up for release in Singapore in a, about two or three months, where some um, doctors there interviewed me about strategies for dealing with grief-stricken parents all sorts of podcast stuff pops up last year i was in one with a former nominated mp in singapore talking about trying to find ways to live after tragedy but um i feel this has been the most enjoyable one so far patrick because uh, of your lovely poem and a sense of lightness about it all and moving forward so i'm really grateful to you Oh, well, uh, thanks for saying that. And um, it's uh, been uh, great to hear you sharing your poems and uh, your experiences. You're in Norwich now. You've, uh, you're just coming to the end of uh, an MA at uh, UEA. How has that been? Oh, yeah. Um, so I have one MA in creative writing already in New Zealand, but that was for writing my memoir. And then, as you heard, I got interested in poetry. So... I got into the MA in creative writing and poetry at the University of East Anglia. And so we're just 
in coming to the end of it, I'm writing a dissertation. And um, it's been really generative. Um, I, I can't believe all of harms I've managed to, to, to write. And um, I've had a pamphlet accepted by a UK small press to be published next year. So that's exciting. And I've made some really amazing friendships some very very talented people on the course and who are willing to share their knowledge and and it's exciting to see your work improve and to grow and also poets in Norwich have been really welcoming I've met some for cups of coffee or whatever people are incredibly generous and supportive and kind to this Kiwi <laughs> so if you're listening thank you very much yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's been nice bumping into you at uh, poetry events and uh, hearing the poems. And there's been sort of a few of the uh, uh, MA group have uh, been. It's been great to hear them sharing their work uh, over the last year. Yeah. So <laughs> just to say some names. So Olivia Tuck, who won the Young Keats Challenge Award, her, her work's um, really wonderful. And uh, Salma Yusuf a young Kenyan poet, uh, already an important social media influencer in Kenya, and someone who's an agent for change. She she is truly amazing, especially uh, if you get a chance to hear her read. She's read at Toast once in and, Norwich. Uh, she was on this podcast during Napa Rhino. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you've, some of you have already heard her. So definitely one to watch. And... Um, there's Perla, sorry Perla, I can't recall your surname, but you're on Instagram and um, Perla the writer and uh, your poetry incredibly powerful. And then I've got the teachers. I mean, um, Tiffany Atkinson, uh, the professor is just amazing and um, Sophie Robinson. So I've just been lucky to be guided by very good people. Yeah, yeah. And what next? What next? Well, I've got... Uh, piece of autofiction I want to write which is long form I've got um, a collection I've written that I'm one of the really horrible parts of being a writer is hawking your wares so I'm, I've got a collection together I'm about to hawk about I, I'm not such a good salesperson you know and uh, marketing and you need to know the right place to place it etc and I've got a commercial fiction book I want to write it's really funny and um, uh, it's set partly in Norwich. Uh, so, uh, meanwhile, I continue to do some editing work for newspapers. Right. Well, um, good luck with all of that. And uh, shall we finish with another poem? Oh, that would be good. I, um, I'll just uh, rustle through the pages and uh, look it up. It's called Most Days. It's quite short, but people seem to like it. Most Days. I walk over the hill near where you died, not to go there so much as to go past the person we both used to be. You now scattered bones, your spine a book. My spine bears flesh still, mind alive to the nonsense of life, time, us. Today we converse in nature's language. What it is I cannot explain. I know only that you spoke it as a newborn and even before, all our befores. That was Linda Collins reading from Sign Language for the Deaf of Reason, which has limited availability here in the UK, though if you're in Norwich, you can get it from the excellent Book Hive.
You can find more info about Linda and this episode on the website poetrynonstop.com. As always, please get in touch to share poems from the prompt or thoughts on this episode. You can email poetrynonstop at gmail.com or at poetrynonstop on most social media platforms. If you've been affected by the issues discussed in this episode, please remember help is always available. Here in the UK, the Samaritans can be contacted 24 hours a day on 116123 or samaritans.org. There are many other services available online, on the phone and face-to-face wherever you are in the world, so please reach out if you need to. Until next time, take care and keep writing.